Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome to episode four of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah and I'm joined as always with Lily and we have an extra special guest today, Billy, which we're super excited about having our first guest on the podcast. So just before we get into today's episode, I want to take you back to the end of um, the third episode, which we talked about a couple of little things that you could observe or have a look for in your gait and in your structure, in your postural components of your body. Not a lot to talk about there because we did kind of go quite in depth about some of those things and they were mainly things that you could just look out for. But we would, Lily and I would love to hear what you might have observed, what you might have thought of about that, um, anything that you noticed in your gait cycle, in your walking, or even if you did that little sand walking exercise we talked about. So if you did notice anything or you wanted to chat about anything, please reach out and let us know. We'd um, yeah, love to hear about what you might have observed in your posture. On to today's episode. Lily, do you want to tell us a little bit about what today is going to include and what we're going to talk about? All right, so I've got my dear friend Billy, who I've known for well over 20 years. And Billy and I actually met at Montessori preschool when um, our kids were quite tiny and all of our three kids went to the same preschool. And I mean, I see Billy more like a family member now because um, I feel we're pretty close and we've been each other's lives for ages. And the thing is, uh, way, way back then, I could see Billy was somebody I really wanted to hang out with for a long time because Billy has got this deep inquiring mind that always goes somewhere really interesting. And I feel like a little kid rushing after her saying, wait for me, wait for me. What did you just say? That was just so interesting. And after 20 years, nothing has changed. Billy is still moving in areas that I'm really in awe of. So I'll let Billy introduce herself in a moment. Uh, but just to recap why we're doing this. so. We want to bring to the public forum the triad of health, which to reiterate is the biomechanical, the biochemical and the mental emotional part of our health. We wanted to make some words magazine words, in, in which case we're trying to say commonly used and, and used freely and happily. So we wanted you to know about things like homeostasis, the cortisol levels in our bodies, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, vagal tone, and last time we were even daring enough to bring up something called CPGs, which were central pattern generators. See episode three. So given all that, um, this is my dear friend, Billy. Oh, thank you, Lily. <laughs> um, can I just add to that, that while she was chasing me, I was actually chasing her because <laughs> Lily has the most curious mind of anyone I know. And if anyone has a conversation with Lily, they will be answering a lot of questions um, and it's a little bit like in education value curiosity over anything else so thank you for that Lily but um, just for, for your listeners I've been an educator for over 20 years in secondary education I've worked in both the state and the independent system of which I am working uh, currently um, as a Dean of Staff at Riverview College and I spent several years as an education consultant as well here in Sydney. So that's my background. Mm, beautiful. So we wanted this episode to come live um, this week sometime because of all these children going back to school and some haven't been in the classroom since mid-June. And in our practice, we're seeing quite a lot of anxiety and, and kids just being nervous about what is expected the words pass and fail again and trying to meet standards and expectations. So, yeah. so there's a growing culture out there, as Billy tells me, the culture of learning is changing. It's becoming more progressive and modern. Uh, there'll be some key words used during this interview regarding growth mindset, um, fixed mindset, the, the words learning, unlearning, relearning, positive psychology, and Billy will also bring in some good research regarding uh, some people's thesis so hopefully we'll get to the end of this podcast which will we will warn you will be a bit longer than usual so in which case you might want to listen to this over uh, two two sittings or two walkings but we really feel that today's podcast will bring you some good value regarding helping your children 
find their way back into the school system. I'm quite excited to hear what you have to say, Billy, about these kids in the school environment and learning in that process and what that might include um, and this difference between growth and fixed mindset. Because as Lily, we're seeing, you know, a lot of a lot of that kind of in the practice at the moment with these kids being a little bit, I guess, anxious, yeah, to go back to school and what that might mean for them. Um, and we were just talking before about how that's going to affect all aspects of their life, coming back into school routine and um, back into sort of a six-hour day, um, not having that flexibility of being at home and, and the challenges that might come up with that. So I thought we might start with kind of what it means to have a growth or a fixed mindset. So you mm, tell sure, about that. sure. And interestingly, interestingly, before I go into that, a, a lot of the students will now be going back into routine and how important it is to provide them with an orientation program to socialise because learning is a very social activity as well and it's a relationship-based activity. And so in schooling, so much is around relationships, the relationship with your peers, relationship with your teacher, relationship with anyone around the school. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that schools do give due consideration into the process of reorientating students back into school. Um, but a, a big part of education at the moment and has been for quite some time, as you mentioned, growth mindset or a positive type of psychology. And Carol Dweck really did lead many of the um, human motivation studies and she specifically looked at the origin of mindsets and their role in motivating us to to move forward to learn and to self-regulate so and she she came up with this model of there's a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset so basically um a fixed mindset uh is when you assume that your character and your intelligence and ability is static if that's what it is it's measured up against a set of standards that, you know, I'm highly intelligent or I'm here or I'm there and that's what I do. Whilst a growth mindset is something that says, well, actually, I really thrive on a challenge and always moving, so it's far more dynamic. So I want to move to the next place for growth. There's a bit of a springboard concept in growth mindset. Now, when we think about students going back into schools mm. or into any environment really that they may be alienated from. You think about it in, in life. So a lot of the stuff that I'll talk about today is not only just for students mm. at school, but Good it's point. for learners in life and it's for us as well as adults. Young, old, doesn't really matter. So thinking about that idea of springboarding and stretching um, is a really important thing right now for students and it would be great for parents to be able to have those conversations with them and how are you stretching your capability today? How were you stretched today? How did you feel today? What happened today? Things like that. So basically um, Carol said in the end her final uh, concept from her thesis was that the view you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way that you lead your life. And if you just think wow. about that, it's yeah. just, it hits everybody, doesn't it? Yeah. She was so, it's amazing work. Um, so she studied it for a couple of decades and still talks on the circuit, etc. So, you know, we have the power to determine what we want. It's about having that belief system that we can make our outcomes happen for ourselves. And that's what the growth mindset is about. And it's, it's about self-validation as well, because then you can see how you're growing as you go along. She kind of basically said, there's, there's a world, if we look at failure, yeah, and Lily, you mentioned, you know, how a student's going to fail, pass when they come back, the anxiety around, am I going to be good enough? How am I going to perform? And one of the, the growing areas, I think, in education is looking at that word failure, because when you know, we're never allowed to fail anybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that in, in this, but there is a lot of students have a lot of anxiety around setbacks and failure. And Carol said, in one world, failure is about having a setback. And in the other world, failure is about not growing. And so you can see how just looking at it differently um, means a very different approach to how your self-efficacy grows. If you think, okay, well, I'm not growing, I failed at something or I didn't pass or I didn't do well enough or whatever, 
uh, I'm not growing, so how do I grow? Whilst the other view is, um, well, that's it. I've got a bad grade. I've lost. I've been fired from my job. I'm not talented. I'm not smart. So that keeps us static. Mm. Um, so how will students, how do you think students will will go back into the school? What do you think they're, yeah, from what question. you've seen? So, so there was a little model that we used in our episode a couple of episodes ago regarding and I fully admit we sort of we pinched it from the um, psychology um, profession that was one of a visual of a fist held up yeah. where the thumb is yeah. held horizontal. Yes, believe you don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the four fingers are wrapped around the brainstem, so the frontal lobes wrapping around the brainstem, and the brainstem, as we know, are about the three Fs. You know, so feed them, fight them, procreate with them. So if we can have, sorry, it's a family. You're going to say that word. It's a family. So, so let's say our brain stems are where our anxieties are. How can we build good frontal lobes to to quieten down our anxiety? Because I really feel we learn best when we have a little bit of previous episode of a fizzy feeling so a little bit of arousal but not hyper arousal because there's that sweet spot where we need to be awake and alive and alert but not crazy about it so how do we feel within ourselves is self-regulation you know when do we learn best um, and how do we know how our bodies Mm. feel Mm. when we're in our in our sweet spot so i suppose using neurobiology is about well how do we feel that nice gentle feeling of you know wanting to do something without being stressed about it yeah but but also i think um with students we're currently saying to them well notice what you're feeling Mm. where are you feeling it in your body and why do you think you're feeling it um and we're actually using those types of practices in the classroom to get learners to connect uh, which is a part of their self-regulation, of course. And for them to understand actually a little bit of stress in a situation yeah. is okay because it starts to stimulate your mm-hmm. brain. Not too much stress because then you're going to be anxious or worried or whatever and not too little stress and then you'll be far too lethargic and not be motivated. So to to look out for where is this level of stress that that helps you move forward with your next decision about how you're feeling and where you're feeling it. So I think one of the, it, it sounds very simple, but one of the key things is to actually call out some of these words like stress, anxiety, and say, okay, where, where, where are you sitting with it right now? And what can we do to move you to the next step? So you've got to create a really safe space for that, yeah. don't you believe? Because yeah. I think a lot of people aren't used to being that vulnerable, are they? Yeah, they're not, they know it in perhaps some learners do and some don't. And I guess this just jumping forward a little bit uh, connects to what we call the learning pit. And sometimes people think that learning is easy. Learning is not always easy. Sometimes it's easy to learn. But other times you think about it yourself, you're highly educated. How many times have you faced a struggle or a challenge in learning a concept or a method or a theory or whatever it might be, not only learning it, but owning it. Mm. Um, Yeah, black belting it. Yes, how do you um, grasp it? I'm the kind of learner that needs to unpack and repack everything. Um, There are other uh, teachers I know who will just read something once, bang, it's done, whilst I have to deconstruct and reconstruct. And I have my own ways of doing that, whether that might be mind map ways, whether that might be elaborating on points, whether that might be reading something and then stop, what did I just read? Like, you know, get, get me back on track. So that's a part of understanding um, what James Nottingham calls the learning pit. And it literally is like, if you think of it as a scale drawing a, a pit and you're going down, you can sense yourself not understanding something and then you're down in the bottom and you don't know it. Yeah. So what does a learner do? They go, well, I just don't know. I give up, right? Yeah. Um, I'm stressed. I don't want to learn, etc. My anxiety level is rising. But actually what we say is to first and foremost understand that learning can be a challenge. It can be a struggle. And everyone faces that at some point. 
what do you do then when you're in the bottom of the pit? Yeah, I love all that because it's actually so uh, visual, number one, mm. and also so kinetic because you've, some, yeah. you've used some really kinetic words today, Billy, which is a springboard, yeah. diving into mm. something, stretching, and now we're in the learning pit, yes, which I just <laughs> love. And, and I wonder whether, uh, at what age, you see, I guess kids are organic learners, aren't they? They're exploring the whole time. And this goes back to our primitive reflex mm. sort of uh, episode. You know, they're, they're touching everything, mm. they're holding everything, they're mouthing everything. Mm. And as parents, I guess we are their first teachers. Oh, so, yeah. so saying things like, stop that. That's dirty. Put that down. They'll break. You're clumsy. So all those words mm. are going straight into a kid's brainstem at a very young age. And, and then that makes them afraid of making a mistake. Correct. Yeah. And so when you're in the learning pit and you are confused and unsure and then you've had that kind of thinking, well, it's just going to trap you there and keep you in that fixed mindset yeah. of this is all I know, this is all I can do. Dweck did a study, which was a really interesting study on four-year-olds, um, and yeah. it was basically she gave them, she had two two groups, oh, well, in the end there were two groups, but they all were asked to redo an easy jigsaw puzzle. The young, they were four-year-olds, and the, the children, um, some of the children were really excited to redo that puzzle, and it was found that they were taking the safe option. They knew their level of intelligence. They went... Yep, I can do that. This is wonderful because I'm going to reinforce what I already know, that I can do that jigsaw puzzle. The other group, and those in the end uh, um, when they configured it, was that they had a growth mindset because they were like, why would you want to do that again when you can do a different jigsaw puzzle to be challenged again and, and to be able to solve a puzzle again? So the basically the fixed mindset kids wanted to um, succeed in order to be smart and, and that's the affirmation mm -hmm. I'm smart I've succeeded because I've done something that I know and the growth mindset um, wanted to stretch themselves again and their definition of success was becoming smarter not I am smart I'm becoming smarter and these are four-year-olds yeah, yeah. Wow. four-year-olds so so I would saying that some kind of predetermined uh, personality trait do you feel that some are more one way or the other well I, I think it's I think it's a lot to do with upbringing what you were talking about the psychology of what's reinforced I think a lot of it has got to do with temperament mm -hmm. I'm, I've got no research to base that on <laughs> but in just in anecdotal um, situations of teaching many children um, and having my own children as well, I think when you see someone's temperament and the two things that stand out for me that I'm seeing as educator now is resilience and perseverance. Yeah. Those those two traits. I'm such a big believer in actually making that uh, something that is explicitly taught. What does perseverance look like? Yeah. What does it mean to keep persevering? Um, yeah. What is resilience? Um, how can we be resilient in a situation and to call them up again? So I think it's got a lot to do with a whole lot of factors. So it's so complex. Yeah. It's so interesting because I know you've got a lot more material, but can I just say here that a lot of it is how we are functioning in our mm. profession as well, which is trying to get the body to regulate better so it can actually so-called heal itself. Yeah. But in your case, it's so that it can actually progress to the next level of learning. Yeah. Yeah, and temperament and resilience. Uh, so part of it is personality driven, yeah. but we can learn these yes, concepts. Can absolutely. We? Yeah. And this is the thing about being gently taught and gently led into these concepts. You know, it takes a very skilled parent to not say the wrong words. <laughs> I just wish I had done a parenting course before I had my kids because, wow, it's only afterwards that I realized, hmm, I could have done that job a lot better. Well, I think it's I also know. easy to say, stop doing that, you know, don't do that, versus saying, let's do something else. I think the easy thing yeah. is to say the don't do or, or the negative, I guess, of the situation versus kind of, you know, steering that in more of a productive or a positive yeah. positive way. And that, and that, again, comes back to that fixed and growth mindset of not only the child or the person but the adults, right, and where we're at in that situation. Yeah. So yeah. it's complex. So I should I just give you 
very quick story, maybe two. <laughs> so when I was in my master's in pediatrics, one of the uh, little tasks that we were doing with the little kids to to see how adept they were or how dexterous they were was to give these little four-year-olds once again, these poor four-year-olds, such victims <laughs> of society anyway. So they're given these little big, well, big wooden beads with a, a lace and their job was to thread the number of beads that they could in a minute onto mm. the lace. And then we counted the beads and so on. And the next part of the task was they had to do as many as possible on your marks, get set, go, and watch them fumble. And they got only half a number of beads on that lace. So they had the same amount of time, but the energy behind that task was different. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting because it was, they were still given a whole minute, but the one, the first task was done under very relaxed Well, is it that pass fail as well, right? That uh, pressure. Expectation. Uh, yeah, the expectation, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I wonder whether that just... Uh, so in education today, the way we can reverse that mm. is to ask the student to set a time. So how might you, you know, improve on where you've been? What might be the next step for growth for you? And so for you to set your own challenge um, as opposed to someone directing that challenge to you. So in learning, you may hear a lot about student voice and choice um, where the students get to have a say about what they're keen to learn about and have a say in the way that they'd like to to learn that and choice in activities or, or a choice in assessing themselves. How would you like to assess yourself? What what might you know, how, how can you get more beads onto the thread, you know, whatever it is. So giving them the, the power to do that and seeing how that takes that pressure off that level of expectation yeah. um, and learning how to self-regulate through that, yeah. I think is, is an interesting way, but it's just a flip side of that. So how do you actually get this to happen in the classroom when you have how many kids are we talking in a classroom? These oh, you can, yeah. yeah. <gasps> 20-odd kids in a classroom easily. Um, and, and it's not to say that in every lesson, in every class, kids get to have a voice and, and they certainly should be having a voice in every class um, or a choice in the matter. You, you might be working on big overriding projects where they have made their choices and then they keep working on them. But there's always, it's also about the language that you use. And, and you were saying before, like you tell, don't do that, don't do that. If, if we flip the language and we start saying something like, um, what might be a better way to solve that problem? Yeah. Um, rather than me telling you what, what to do, I can flip it back to the student. So if a student um, has a, a question or a query they don't know, instead of me giving them the answer, I might say, well, what do you think mm. might be the solution? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, what do you think would be helpful in this situation? So you can, there are tiny little things you can do in everyday life in the classroom as they are at home. And, uh, you know, I, I've had to zip my mouth as well many times with my own children go, don't say it, don't say it. And just, uh, just ask the question, what makes you say that? <laughs> and I love that question. question. Yeah, and they'll say, Mum, that's a cycle bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Stop now. I know, but that's my go to, okay? Um, so that's a really good question in the classroom as well um, to further that curiosity in students. If they give you a statement and you go, okay, well, let's explore that a little bit further. Mm. Keep asking the whys, like in design thinking, when they ask the whys five times, why? and give an answer why and give an answer and eventually you'll get to the heart of the matter. So they're, they're little strategies that mm. will really grow that that student voice and student um, really exploring what they're capable of and exploring their learning and exploring their self-regulation. Oh, look, I've just figured that out. I've just done the whys five times and I've gotten to this point. You know, I didn't know that I could do that. And that almost brings us back to the parent is the first teacher, really. And, yeah. And perhaps we could all be taught how to parent, oh. I wonder. Oh. oh. <laughs> I, you know, this, this leads me to Dweck's work on feedback. Yeah, I thought so, Billy. I saw that. Like, I thought, what are we going there? Like like, we've got there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing that, uh, you know, I was just thinking of how, do, how are we better 
educators? Um, how are we better parents? How are we better learners? Because even in having conversations with your own children or with your partners or anything like that, how do you learn better uh, from that? So uh, Dweck uh, did a brainwave study on, um, what was it again, on how brains behaved as they answered difficult questions and received feedback on adults. So what was going on with their brainwaves with these difficult questions? She found that those with a fixed mindset were only interested in hearing the feedback that was directly related to their ability, but um, they tuned out when it came time of helping them understand what the real answer was. So Mm. they just wanted to hear about their ability. So they weren't interested in the right answer or what the answer, just like their ability. But the people with a growth mindset as adult learners um, were like really keen to hear the information so that they could expand their knowledge um, about it. So they weren't afraid to hear the feedback regardless of whether they were right or wrong. Um, In other words, their priority was learning and not the binary trap of success v failure. So I just always go back to thinking, how can we be open to feedback when we're having conversations with anybody in our life, Uh, whether that's in the classroom or whether that's at home or in a friendship or in a relationship, etc. Um, And I think this is a really growing area in schools as well, how we provide meaningful, timely feedback that's relevant, people can take away and then, more importantly, do something with it. So I I try and I I often listen to my my 28-year-old son. He's really great. He's really open-minded when it comes to feedback. So even if he hears something that's against, say, his political belief system he doesn't go well that's just ridiculous you know I don't agree with that he's like oh so tell me more Mm. tell me more about that mum why do you think that or tell me more about if someone else is having a conversation with him and he starts to process the information because he's got he's that he's that guy oh I just want to know more about it so I want to test my current knowledge against what you say and that's the way that he thinks Mm. so whenever i'm trying to reel him into a conversation i get um slammed (laughs) because he doesn't let me go where i want to take it he's he's directing it to feed himself if you know what i mean um i mean enough that because you have three children and so do i and you didn't bring them up any differently, did you, Billy? No, I don't you think didn't, so. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't hit one more than the other. No, no, no. Oh, okay, just checking. So isn't that interesting how that's yeah. him and yeah. that is him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just think he has such a, a curious mind. I keep going back to that. Um, he has such a level of curiosity that he will just let it, he will go with it. And he uses that in his personal life, in, in his studies, in his work, etc. And, and so, so therein, if we as adults are more open to feedback and hearing different perspectives, because when you think about it, we all have, and maybe in a bit of the work that you do, we all have those mental um, models that we use. We have a bias, we, we have a confirmation bias, we have many biases, and we often are brought up to think a certain way. So I went to uni and studied economics, so I... I think in terms of scarcity, you know, I think in terms of supply and demand and, you know, that sort of thing, law of diminishing returns, there are various concepts that come to my mind. So if I was to analyse the same situation as you, I would be bringing my perspective in, which is my mental model, and you would be bringing your scientific perspective in and we'd see things from a different angle. Yes, I see. And also, go back to your son just briefly, there's great trust in that relationship because he is open to be um, questioned and he's also open to question. Mm, yes. He's open to, to say, yeah. I don't really understand it, so help me, teach me, you know, help me find my way. Yeah. So he is open, which is, I feel that's got to be a little bit of a pre-requirement in, in learning because... Mm. I'm going to say the same. Marco, for instance, has a very wide door for for learning. Like it's mm. wide open. It's like throwing open the 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 bifold um, French doors, looking at the ocean, just going, "Teach me, bring me in." Mm. Whereas some people have a small little 
crack of a door they have to just peek through and go, well, what is out in the big wide world? You know, teach me a little bit and then I might crack the door open a bit further. So maybe we have to be aware of people's sensitivities. I mean, some kids don't have the capacity to learn a lot quickly. Um, some kids maybe want to learn a lot straight away. Is it appetite perhaps or yeah, kids' makeup? Oh, I just think it's everything we've been talking about. Yeah. All of that, and also I think that whole uh, feedback reflection process is really, I think I prefer to call it reflection. Um, if you've given your child the ability to reflect on what they're doing or what they're saying or what they did and be able to open up and discuss that, then they become more open to learning. Mm. A safe place. A safe place. Yeah. Um, um, because they're, they're beginning to self-regulate. That's what they're doing when they're reflecting. Oh, you know, I did a naughty thing and it looked like that. That's what that naughty thing was. Um, and that upset mum. Um, and I know that I'm not meant to do that again. And what I'm going to try next time is stay away from the fire or whatever it was that I, you know, started. Mm. So, you know, that starts to open their mind up to um, learning, to being questioned, um, to different perspectives, like a whole lot of things come into play to have that growth mindset where a challenge is something that I want to get my teeth into, where if I'm stuck in the learning pit, I want to get out. So who can I call on to get out? How can I get help here? What strategies can I use? Yeah, that solution so, focus, right? That, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it also looks like there are a couple of motivations and these have been studied regarding goal setting and goal mm. reaching. And it has been yeah. shown that if you use fear, you're not 95% guaranteed to reach the goal. If you use love, you're about 5% going to get to the goal. Mm. So I know which I would prefer. However, I feel that a lot of goals are reached through fear-based strategies rather than love-based strategies. Mm. So I'm not sure how that manifests in the school world, the teaching world. Oh, I think we set learning intentions for every lesson so the student understands what we're looking for mm. and what that might look like in terms of their success criteria. So that, that's, um, that's a, a given in most classrooms these days. And, and again, using that language, um, we are learning too. What I'm looking for is this. So, so it's very clear to the student what the expectation is. Um, and again, that reinforces their learning. Um, so this is, this is clear to me what we're intending to do. So setting a goal and these are the actions and this is the demonstrable result of that. You know, this is what that will look like. I will have the answer to X, Y, Z, or I will have designed a model or I would have drawn something or painted something. So whatever it might be, again, making that explicit to students is a way of helping them form an approach to learning something. So setting goals is really important. And I think you'll find in a lot of schools, the goal setting is not just for academics, but it's also in terms of what they might like to achieve in their sporting life, in their hobbies, things like that. And often when you have um, at school pastoral care groups um, or homerooms or mentor mentee time um, that is very much structured around setting overarching goals for the learner um, and working towards that and breaking it down having actionable steps mm. as to okay so if you do want to uh, you know try and make small steps so you know I want to move from a, a B to an A in my maths my next maths test so now that's a pretty big goal right so you might be at the at more towards the, the lower b end and you might be striving to get 98 percent. well that's actually a really huge jump so let's break it down and go how can i get up a next you know couple of percent what what where's the area in mass i need to improve on and what am i going to do which activities, exercises, support from my teacher and my peers am i going to get to be able to overcome the fact that i had some issues with algebra so we try and be very specific around that. So students are learning to set goals and regulate that behaviour mm -hmm. um, towards it from a micro level in the classroom to a bigger kind of level. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think that, you know, that only not only gives them a direction, you know, from point A to point B or, yeah, so, you know, from here to there, yeah. how I get there. But one, it gives them accountability as well because they've got these things that they can go step by step, tick that yeah. off. Overarching picture doesn't look so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really great concept for them to be not only learning but applying in school. I think mm. that's, yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, th- I think you've really nailed it there. Sarah, I, I think that it's the application and it's it's no longer um, about just understanding, um, knowing something, but understanding it and being able to affect it. Um, that's the big, big thing yeah. in learning, and that's what we call the higher order end of Bloom's taxonomy, when you can actually make those sorts of application, um, analysis, evaluation, judgments, yeah. um, rather than just knowing and understanding something. And um, uh, on that, there was a really interesting um, study that was done on the bike. And this was about the process of learning, unlearning and relearning, because that's really what's going on when you're going through that process. And there were, uh, Alvin Toffler wrote that the illiterate of the 21st century, century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. Mm, um, nice. And for us to be really aware that learning doesn't just involve learning something new, we're actually going through a process where we're relearning something, we're unlearning it um, and learning it again. And so what, what they did was a um, experiment where they changed, a group of engineers came together and um, was trying to think who the chap was again anyway come to me um they basically re-engineered a um a bicycle destin sandlin that's what was his name so he re-engineered a bicycle got the engineers to do this so instead of as we would normally turn the bicycle um bars to the right the bike would turn to the right they re-engineered that when you turn the handles to the right it will go to the left yeah now everyone thought well that's simple yeah i know that if I turn the handles to the right, it will now go to the left, right? I know that. I understand that process. So I'm going to get on the bike. I'm going to turn the handlebars to the right, and I know I will go to the left. So that's understanding, knowledge and understanding. Nobody (laughs) could move it, not even like a Mm. centimetre. There's a great video. You can YouTube it. Um, And they tried university students, young children, adults, engineers, everybody, they all had very similar results. And it took um, Destin eight months to relearn how to ride a bike with the re-engineered handlebars. Interesting. And after that, it took him, I think, two or three weeks to relearn how to ride a normal bike again. Interesting. So what the brain is going through during that time. And they also did find that younger children were far more agile, had far more brain plasticity and were able to do that in a faster, far less time than, than he was. So... So, so this probably feeds back to episode three as well with the central pattern generators yeah. where we all have habitual habits mm-hmm. or habitual um, neurons and to break them, as you say, requires a bit of patience and oh. effort. Yeah, yeah. and, and he was in that learning pit yeah. for eight yeah. months. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and I wonder, that does it sort of then, then catapult him into learning things more quickly next time? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I can't. I don't know what would happen if then he, you know, they re-engineered some other piece of equipment and, and it went the opposite way, how how it would happen. But I would imagine that the brain would have learned to flex a lot more and be a lot more agile in those situations because they recognise a pattern. Yep. Now there's a pattern here and I have to apply that information yep. and make it my own and that's and I think that's why we when we learn at school and when we assess students you have level different levels of assessment that assess them on knowledge and understanding and knowledge on application and evaluation of something so the more able students are are able to do those higher order things and then keep practicing that and can keep performing at that level with them so that indeed Lily their brain has adapted to that mode of thinking and also the dopamine cycle of reward, mm. right? Yeah. So we're talking about neuroscience. Probably down the line, we'll discuss neurotransmitters, but mm. we all love it. Well, kids love it when they play a video game and they get to the next level. 
and it's so nice when you can actually apply it to learning something quite useful. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, having yeah those yeah. dopamine levels. Yeah, and the cortisol levels as well in yeah. terms of that, that that what we mentioned earlier, the little bit of stress to generate that energy to mm. go forward and want that challenge. And then I wonder whether then there there is a pause moment when the kids mm. attain something and they pause and go, wow, what does that feel like? Ooh. Because sometimes a mountain is climbed and the view has to be appreciated. You know, I really try and get people to say, okay, when you've climbed that mountain, stop now, breathe, pause, love it, and then go somewhere else. But I think some people just don't do that, do they? Yeah, and I think for us, the, the term there is reflection mm. um, and noticing what what you've achieved or how you've grown and not necessarily in a criteria of you know a standard but personally how you've grown how you've moved from whatever's just happened in your life or whether it's academic or not um so for, for learners i think that process is reflection then you bring up a really interesting word on your paper here billy regarding praise Ooh. i find that a really interesting word because i feel that when my kids were brought up there was a fashion of behavior or, or parenting which was praising and appreciating, but to the point where my kids would come home with bits of um, it's like merit certificates saying so and so sat up nicely and smiled, and they got a, they got an award for that. I'm thinking, yes, that's what you're meant to do as yeah. a human being. So I'm just wondering whether the whole praising went overboard for a while, and yeah. what does it really mean? The praise thing, I think, is again appraising let's say if you achieved an A grade on that maths test you were keen to do and you finally achieved that so praising for performance oh you've got a great you know great excellent result as opposed to praising for effort which is you in implemented strategies to get yourself from that B and learn that algebra issue that you had with algebra and you managed to get the A and you implemented those strategies and put a lot of effort in or, or whatever amount of effort so that what you're doing is reinforcing the growth mindset of here's a challenge, I know how to set a goal, I know how to set strategies around it and work to it, persevere and be resilient if I've come up against a challenge. So you're actually praising them for that process as opposed to the final outcome. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's what we hope to develop for lifelong learners. So you can imagine that applied to your own life mm. in any situation of a challenge that you might have in work or in relationships. And I guess that's it, right? We're all, there's always going to be challenges, whether that's in, you know, learning something in an in like a schooling situation or mm-hmm. in, you know, outside of school in an adult life. But what, you know, what sort of challenges might we see, you know, with these kids learning and, and how might we, where might we go with that? Yeah. I think the challenge in learning now is actually incorporating skills, capabilities and competencies mm-hmm. and for students to be aware of that, you know, how good am I at, at thinking critically. How creative am I? What can I do to really grow my creativity? How do I collaborate with others? Is my communication clear? When you think of those four things that I've just mentioned, like how important are those things in the workplace? Mm, yeah. How important they are further education? Society um, or relationships. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so I think it certainly is within our curriculum to teach those things. And do we, as educators, place enough emphasis on it? Maybe yes, maybe no. There's certainly opportunity to grow those kinds of capabilities. And when you think about those things, it all goes back to that growth mm. mindset um, and, you know, open to learning, all those kinds of things. So I think that's the challenge yeah. um, in terms of specific things. But I think for... I guess a lot of the debate around how disconnected young people are and the level of mental health issues that we see in school where roughly a third of students have mental health issues. So, and we think about them, we think that they are so disconnected from a lot of the the real humanity in their life. And so there's this superficial area in their life. 
Um, and how do we bring that back to the fore? How do we grow their um, ability to believe in themselves and to have a, a belief that no matter as an essential part of being a human, we all should have a belief that we will succeed. Imagine if every kid okay. can that. So you see, Billy, as we're talking, there's some thoughts going through my head and mm. most of it is regarding, well, society maybe needs to change the way we measure each other because I feel that some people measure each other and you say the word succeed mm. because success in our world today looks like a big house, big, beautiful, shiny car, you know, a piece of bling on your finger. You know, mm. it's all kind of materialistic. It's actually... Well, coming to episode three, we discussed competition and how competition is fantastic on the sporting field. You know, bust your guts and score that goal or win that game or whatever. But once we leave that sporting field, can we dust our hands down, shake hands, leave, have a beer, whatever, rather than competing all through life? Because mm. how do you iron out that success without bringing in the material part of success? Because you see, there's some kids who achieve really, really well in life, but they love art only. And I love art only. <laughs> Sometimes I do love art only. But if you were going to pay a mortgage down um, with three kids, could you be an artist? Mm -hmm. So uh, One thing I am seeing, I think, really with young people is very different to our model of in our age bracket, Sarah. <laughs> so in your generation, what I am seeing is that they're looking at us and going, we so don't want that model. We want to follow our passion mm. and we want to do it this way. Yeah. And I absolutely yeah. love that. Applaud. And I learn that from my children every day. Yeah. And I think if I've given them anything, it's the will to lead their lives in the way that they see um, is satisfying for them. For them. So yeah. they're getting satisfaction from following what they really enjoy doing. And I can see that with my daughter, with everything she's involved in, and it may not be leading to materialistic things at the moment, and and she, I don't think she really cares about that, but she's so satisfied and so involved um, in her passions. She's a sex therapist, and she will just be writing, she'll be doing podcasts, she'll be doing sessions, she gets involved in all sorts of things, and the passion just literally yeah. propels her forward. And she's gone, well, I don't have to take the regular path. I'm happy with this path. It may not be giving me the materialistic dividends right now, um, but this is where my focus is. And I'm seeing a lot of this generation breaking down those barriers, really. Yeah. Um, you will see them with your own kids, I'm sure. And yeah. Sarah, you would see them in your generation. Sarah, do you know, you know, your friends, colleagues that take a different approach? Yeah, and I think we see that a lot in people, and like a lot of people my age starting their own businesses, you know, not yeah. necessarily going into a job that's like, you're going to earn this much money, you're going to be on a salary of this, you're going to be working these this many hours, this task, this is your focus, but very open to, yeah, starting their own business, not afraid that if that failed, they can go on to the next mm -hmm. thing. It's not that, you know, I know mum talked a lot about when, you know, she left school or when my grandma left school, it was like, you know, you became a nurse, you became a teacher, you became, you know, there were a handful of things that you would go down that path and become. Um, these days, with this, we can do anything, really. And I feel like that's the mentality of, of people my age and my generation. It's that I don't have to be a nurse because that's, a job that we might do I can be a sex therapist or I can be you know I can be an entrepreneur and I can open my own jewelry business or whatever it is that their passion comes from mm. they'll find a way right yeah. they'll do that and they'll find a way yes. to, to survive and, and live in terms of money or in terms of cost of living um, and I think that's just yeah I guess it comes back to that growth mindset too of we're very what well, most of us or some of us are yeah, a little bit more open to, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll find a way. Something yes. next will come of that. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. So I think there's hope, Lily. Yes. Um. yes <laughs> I mean, you know me, I just have to, you know, sit the pot a little bit. And having said that, I have such great respect for teachers mm -hmm. because you guys have our kids in their best waking hours, you know, from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon, and we get them back all grotty and snotty and <laughs> gross. But... I think the power of a great teacher, you just cannot 
how how can we praise them enough? That's for me because yeah. uh, and lucky enough, our kids have had such great teachers. I think growing up, did you yeah. find that, Sarah? Yeah, I did, and I think um, a lot of parents listening to this will will agree with that, given mm, that they've just been online yeah. learning and home learning. We're trying to <laughs> yes. trying to do that with yes. their kids. Yes. I think everyone has a, a new appreciation for um, just the effort and also the love that teachers and educators are putting into these kids to allow them to have a better growth mindset and allow them to not only you know get a ninety percent in maths or get a percentage or pass these subjects, but to be better humans going forward yeah. out of school, right? And I think that's kind of ties nicely yeah. to why we wanted to create this podcast as well. Yeah, right? and, and I think so many teachers, certainly the teachers I've worked with, uh, have an absolute un, oh, undeniable love for what they do. Mm. And the core of it is um, relationship building, yeah. building relationships with students. I've taught most of my education with boys in boys' schools. And one of the things, if I can just share a little anecdote with you that I realised, I, I went from a girls school where uh, when I did discipline girls they um, they really didn't like me for the rest of the term nor did the rest of their social group um, so you know that you don't go and talk to that teacher because she you know she gave us a detention or whatever yeah. and then I went into a boys school and the, in the first week had year nine commerce and they were a little bit ratty and you know chatty and things like that and I thought right I've got to stamp a particular protocol into this classroom and I waited in silence at the front of the class whilst they stopped talking and I just tallied up the minutes and it was six minutes and fortunately for me it was the period before recess and the bell went I said well boys I've just had to wait six minutes um, for your attention and you know we've lost this amazing learning time so we're going to sit now in silence for six minutes and reflect on what we could do better next time and all these boys, year nine boys, you know, sat there in silence and and that was it. I then released them. I said, we're going to talk about this next lesson, what we're going to do. And as they were walking out the door, they said, thanks, miss. See you tomorrow. Thanks, miss. <laughs> students actually what they want is to know that you know them yeah um and they'll do anything to get on side with you to build that relationship so i i love the roguenness Mm. of young people you know people go oh this is so naughty in class and i always have a little giggle because i think we you know we we do want a bit of rogue but we want a bit of respect and discipline and, and understanding of what's appropriate what's not and it's our job to put them back on track. Mm. That's if a kid ever did anything really, you know, naughty, whatever, I just would take a breath and go, okay, it's my job to put him or her back on track. That's what I do. Now, that's not teaching, um, you know, economic theory. That's not teaching business studies. That's just human relationship yeah. stuff. And I think you'll find that most teachers out there, particularly these days with all the issues for young people the way that they they now don't learn the way that we used to learn they just don't the technology has changed that so much um that a big part of our role is is relationship building well we do give our teachers to come to see us um extra special care we We love teachers um and just kind of on that do you think coming back from it's almost been i guess four months of this Mm -hmm. online learning or homeschooling kind of picture do you think that's going to change things up a bit or it's going to take kids a little bit longer to I guess get back into routine of this learning picture yeah I think uh, from what we've learned from Melbourne schools Mm. um, as I mentioned earlier the socialization is a really big part because some of the Melbourne schools reflected that once the kids got in the playground they just went wild yeah you know they hadn't run around with friends and bigger social groups and things like that so there's that whole how do you manage Um, the behaviour, how do you get them to focus because even though they've been doing online learning and indeed they may that may have worked for some students. We've heard many stories where very quiet students have come opened up on the on the online forums. Um, So that there'll be a variety of different experiences for different students. But I think a key thing will be a level of focus for a for a period where they're sitting again and also interacting with their peers. And I think 
that's another area that can really be grown in a classroom, how to work, how to collaborate. And that's another one of those skills, isn't yeah. it? Um, how do we collaborate together now? How do we speak to each other? How do we give each other space and time? How do we make positive, constructive comments back to a peer um, and things like that? So I think that collaboration, the socialisation aspect of schooling is going certainly going to be one. Um, and for teachers to keep employing pedagogy that works both in the classroom and online, depending on what a student's needs are. So differentiating amongst those students, I think that's going to be a big part of yeah. going forward. And you were mentioning here um, learner agency. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think um, this is this is encompasses the bigger picture the bigger theme of what we need for our students going forward, whether they are returning from, um, you know, being in lockdown for, for nearly four months or, or whether it's just their growth. And I think agency or student agency, um, what we're talking about there is that a student has the capacity to positive, positively influence how they will approach something, what they will do. For example, how to set a goal, how to reflect, how to act responsibly and affect change. Um, so that's a really big, big thing. Um, and how do we uh, teach that is broken down into many components, of which we've actually touched on many of them mm. in this podcast. But um, what we're looking for is to empower students to own their own learning. So a big part of that is to know and understand how you learn. So if, if I asked you, Sarah, you know, mm. like, how do you learn and how do you know? And when you don't know something, do you know that you don't know something? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm a very visual learner. So like I know mm. through uni, I was very much like I would take notes and have them, but I drew a lot of mind maps, a lot of pictures. I like mm. to visually see it and then go away and, and try and apply it. Yeah. And it did take, like, I did have to put a lot of effort into being quite comfortable with the fact if I didn't know something and, and how I then was able to go and relearn that, I guess, if we've spoken about. So, yeah, I'm a very visual learner um, and I would say I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at recognising nowadays when I don't know something and then yeah. kind of where to go from there. Yeah. But I would say that took me a long time to come Yeah, of to course, that. this yeah. is a lifelong thing. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, rather than student agency, I like to think it's learner agency because I think I'm still doing this. Mm. Um, we're all still doing this stuff. And, uh, you know, there was research um, that showed that on a positive cycle of learning, that's what we want students to be at. And students with a strong sense of agency work harder, they have greater focus, they've got more interest, they're less likely to give up and all those positive things we've already mentioned. So how do we do that in, in their ability? And one way of doing that is to show them how to make good choices. Um, you know, you choose a strategy for learning that suits you. You yeah. choose to, you know, w whatever it might be, uh, you choose to not follow a, a group of kids that are doing the wrong thing you know how do we get to do that that's a it's not an easy thing no. whatsoever and there's so much social pressure on kids and um but breaking all those little things down is one way mm. and having the conversations and, and continuing to show what difference it would make in your life what's the impact on mm. you and have you felt that impact so that, that's um, one thing. And the way that we can teach these things is, is through, there's about three or four uh, captions within that. One is to show intentionality. So what's the intention um, here? It's an awareness that will, and it's a, a awareness and a will to act in a certain way to achieve something. So actually making that clear to students. So what's your intention? What are you trying to achieve here? So what were you trying to achieve when you did X um, and getting them to think about their own intention um, and growing that within them. Another thing to elicit is what we call um, forethought. So this this is you anticipating the outcomes of your actions. So if you're having a conversation with your son or daughter about some social uh, behaviour, you could start by discussing, well, what might you think will happen if you did do that? rather than me telling you, well, if you go out and do that, X is going to happen, you know. Um, so, again, flicking it back onto the learner to think about for the implications for themselves. Um, and that's that self-determination theory, I guess. So what motivates you? You know, are you motivated by 
intrinsic or extrinsic behaviour? Is it something you value? Is it just something you want to achieve? And making that really clear um, to our children or um, the learners in our classroom. This is the the big thing, I think, is the self-regulation and uh, self-efficacy for students and how that can help them survive in this world and go forward, I guess. Mm. So we've covered quite a lot, Billy, um, but I want to ask you, how do parents prepare? See, as a teacher, you want parents at home to be backing you up, right? What are some simple things parents can say to children at home prior to going back to school this next week or two? Um, it w- I think it would be the conversations around what do you expect might happen, so before mm. they go back. Yeah. Um, what do you think it's going to feel like, look like, sound like to you? Like what, what are you thinking? Um, what is the, some of the, what do you think is going to be scary about going back, challenging, whatever words you like to use, so that that can actually be discussed and laid yeah. on the table. Like a student might may have preferred to be learning online as opposed to being physically there and um, socialising uh, with students. So, so okay, so if that's, that's an issue for you, who are your friends? How might you start having a chat to them again? What might you say to the teacher if you are too shy to ask questions now in front of a class? Yeah. Would it be what would be a good strategy? Could you email your teacher? Could you see the teacher after class? Could you pop in at lunchtime? Yeah. Um, just, I think the first thing I would be trying to elicit is what are some of the concerns or challenges or worries, even if that's the case for the child you might have in going back to school, and what are some of the strategies we know can help or that you know of and trying to get the student to think about it rather than me telling you well go and see the teacher about this and go and see the head of department about that how about you think about it and you make that decision to so giving them agency once yeah. again yeah and i think also just what was triggering in my mind where you were saying that billy is i guess giving them yes helping them kind of them themselves come up with a solution but giving them I guess the awareness one that it's okay to have that concern that's totally fine let's find a solution and then two I guess going back to the agency giving them that ability to say hey you know you you can go and talk to your teacher and say do you mind if we do it this way going forward can you assist me in learning this way because as you said there's going to be kids that come back who loved the online learning space and Mm -hmm. really thrived Mm -hmm. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for them to adapt back into that classroom setting so I think giving kids the understanding that it's okay to go and ask for that help yes. um, to adapt the way that they're learning now that we've had this experience. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And and vice versa for kids who are busting to be in the playground again, um, how to manage their behaviour in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. So what what are some of the things you think you're going to freak out about? <laughs> you know, like you're just going to go wild, um, chatting, playing, whatever, yeah. not listening to the teacher. You think that the classroom environment is just going to be for social purposes yeah. now because you haven't had that for four months. Why might that not work? And what are some things you can use to say to yourself to calm yourself down if you're getting really excited? And um, all those kinds of self-reflective pieces, I think, are yeah. helpful. Yeah. Do you think we've covered? Oh, <laughs> do you want to ask anything else? Yeah, I, I could <laughs> rattle on forever. Really. Um, I just, I think in, in the main thing I would like to for your listeners to understand is that self-efficacy in ourselves or in our children, in learners, is probably the thing to strive for, and that it it's a lifelong process and. I, I would leave when saying trade cleverness for curiosity. That's one thing I would say. Um, and have that belief system, as I said, imagine if we raise our children and said, you know what, an essential part of uh, human functioning is that you believe in your capacity to succeed and you're responsible for the strategies that um, enact that. I'm here to support you, encourage you, help you, as are your teachers, as are all the important people in your life. Um, and I think encouraging that growth mindset, that springboarding and stretching, praising effort rather than performance, um, there's some really nice things to be thinking about and they're the things that help uh, grow that self-efficacy, that belief that you have that capability mm. um, to, 
to grow and to succeed. Beautiful. Trade cleverness for curiosity. Yeah, I love, yeah. That. I love that. <laughs> so three little things, Billy. Yeah, well, that, they're the three things. <laughs> Beautiful. Growth mindset. Yeah. So, yeah, having that growth mindset, understanding that learning is a challenge yeah. and that you will get stuck in the learning pit. And it's a matter of reaching out um, and thinking what other strategy, like Sarah, you mentioned you had various strategies that mm. you use or who, who can I help, who can I go to to get me out of here? Learning is a relational process, so you need to get help from people to learn. And just having that self-efficacy and belief in yourself that you've got the strategies and the skills to to get out of this situation or to improve your situation. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think it, like, it all kind of sums up to nurture that growth mindset. And mm. I think and you mentioned there being able to call on people. Um, and so not always going to be the same person that you call on every time, but understanding that, that a skill you might have or that skill that you might need to employ in that moment is asking for help. You don't necessarily have to have the skill to complete the task, but the skill to ask someone for yes, that help. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and how about we make these things explicit? Yeah. You know, like tell kids, that's okay. That's what we want you to do. So we often assume so much yeah. in our conversations. It's very modern, as you say, Billy, because I suppose 50 years ago, it was sit down there and just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So that conditioning yeah. needs to go. And yeah. I just, I kind of envy this, this modern day group of young kids going into schooling because it just sounds just so much heart-based isn't it that it used yeah. to be yeah yeah well mm. you know they're going to change jobs uh whatever the stats are these days i can't keep up with mm. them but something like 30 times in their lifestyle yeah. as opposed to my parents who had one job their entire life yeah um and so the way that they learn the way that they do is very different to the old traditional model yeah, and we have so to step, um, apologize to Oma and Opa, Nonna, Popo and Kung Kung, you know, Baba and Dada, like so all, all our immigrant parents, yeah, because it's not the way they did things. But Absolutely. hey, we really need to learn to change. Yeah, mm. that's right. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Billy. That was amazing. I know I definitely learned a couple of things and, and definitely this is going to be an awesome podcast that I know we can refer a lot of our parents or our um, patients too and um, yeah, I think there's going to be plenty of things that people can can gain and learn from this episode so thank you for coming on and being our first guest oh such a pleasure <laughs> thank you so much for having me oh, you're very I welcome. love the conversations and I think what, what a privilege it is to be here and I hope the listeners get a couple of good tips out of that to help them and, and if they do have children to help their kids yeah. And of course, uh, reach out to us on our Facebook or Instagram. And because Billy is an economist as well as a high level educator, I wonder whether some of the questions might um, come to Billy actually. So do do give us your questions and we'll make sure that we will contact Billy. And who knows if you like everything or something that Billy has said and would like to hear more, send us an email or a, you know, just reach out to us and we might beg Billy to, <laughs> to come back. Yeah, love to. Thank That'd you. Be great. Love the questions. Thank you. A quick disclaimer these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment, or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.